And because of the consumerist nature of our lifestyles now, where we just consume everything, not just food, but like people's thoughts. Oh, read this book, go to this movie, go like learn this way, use this app. It's all just giving it to you. And where's the call for just the individual to say, hey, I don't need any of this. I need nothing. Mm. I can just sit under a tree with compassionate self-inquiry, which you can be trained in, and I can figure it out myself. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today was a really special interview that I did with some of my best friends, Eric Levin and Eric Fisher, both of named Eric. Um, and Eric Levin was the original muse for the Crazy Wisdom podcast. We would talk every day on our way to uh, ecstatic dance in Oakland on Wednesdays uh, to go dance. And we'd, we'd have conversations about spirituality and about crazy wisdom. And, uh, and I was like, well, I should, I should start doing interviews uh, based on the conversations we were having on the same theme that we were having, because Eric is a VR developer um, AR developer has been doing that for a long time and has access to crazy wisdom uh, and he is uh, really really interesting and then my friend Eric Fisher um, is a previous podcast guest I've already had him on the podcast um, and he was an early employee at Facebook got kind of fed up with the whole thing the whole tech uh, whatever it is whatever that tech thing is and was uh, during that ascent of Facebook uh, and he started doing a lot of improv, and he created something called Mindful Improv, um, which I have now become a huge fan of and, and like to practice. Uh, so this was not only a, one of the best episodes I've ever done, but thoroughly entertaining and fulfilling and something that I am very, very honored to share with you all. And I just wanted to put it out there again that I have my online course with Anders Jones. Uh, applications are open. Uh, and if you want to find out more information, you can subscribe to my blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. And it's uh, going to be a great course uh, with Anders Jones, who rose $40 million in a Series A. Uh, so if you're a startup founder at either the Siege stage, the Series A stage, or even just considering starting a company, uh, I'm going to pull out the most important information from his head, how he's raised money, and then also how he's done hyper growth, because he's about to hit that he is hitting that hyper growth curve so he can basically start to share some of the lessons he has from that. Um, if you're interested, please subscribe to the blog, stuartalsop.substack.com, uh, and hope you enjoy this interview and have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today we have a very, very special episode and a very special guest, uh, Eric Levin. Uh, and Eric is the one that I originally ideated the podcast Crazy Wisdom with. So it's really, and that was almost uh, two years ago now, probably full two years ago. Uh, we were going to ecstatic dance every, uh, every Wednesday in Oakland and we would be in the car and we would have deep philosophical discussions about the nature of reality and where everything is going, technology, spirituality, religion, all these different things that a lot of people kept separate. We were mixing into our conversations. And so I came up with, uh, we came up with the idea for Crazy Wisdom. And it's a huge pleasure to have you on. And I don't know, I can introduce you. You can introduce yourself. What do you feel more comfortable with? How about you introduce Okay. Me? So Eric Levin. So, you know, I, I, these introductions that we have to do for these podcasts are somewhat ridiculous a lot of times because we have to take the job and call that person that job. Uh, and Eric is much more than just his job. He is a very creative individual who has been experimenting with VR art for the last five years. Um, also, I will give some professional background because it is impressive as well. He was uh, working at High Fidelity, which was a really interesting VR startup that has now shifted to remote work, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do you think feels pertinent for our conversation, maybe even in terms of spiritual resume? Sure. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, let's see. Meditation, yoga, dance. Um, love combining all of that and thinking about how that plays into VR and movement and visualizing various energies and things that come up during those practices. That has been key for our, our conversations over the years. For me, I really enjoy talking with you about the nature of commerce and the because we want to be doing these things because they're interesting to do. And it's great if they also make money. But if we make the money the goal... Does it cheapen commerce? Does it cheaper cheapen the art? It's a really good question. It's something I've been thinking about as well, and I know we've been discussing it. I think it can, but it doesn't necessarily have to. That's what's coming to my mind uh, intuitively. Um, I was, I think, I was listening to a podcast about uh, Jim Henson, mm. uh, the Muppet mm. guy, mm. and it was it focused on that issue and his journey through art and business and the way he managed to keep integrity around that and keep creating while still you know, making a living out of it and being successful. So. And what was his, what was his insight? I can't remember exactly like how he navigated, like what they talked about, how he navigated it all. But I think a lot of it revolved around um, just maintaining, like realizing the business side is part of it and maintaining the creative integrity mm -hmm. throughout yeah, not getting like sucked into the, the business side too yeah. much. And yeah. I've been thinking a lot about integrity and what that means. It feels like it has a certain somatic or, or body representation, um, for, 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 for us as well. Like you can feel integrity. It's like whole, right? Wholeness. It, you, it, you are one kind of being and so you're whole and it feels like oftentimes I've heard that if you say a lie, you become weak in your body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so to be integrity, it has a certain somatic representation. Do you agree with that? I'm just kind of riffing here. Yeah. I, I think I felt that for sure. Um, even in certain areas of the body, and even if it doesn't, I, even if I don't feel it right in the moment, if I am not in full integrity or I avoid the truth or something, then late, like maybe the next morning I'll wake up and like feel like a, uh, like a pain, you know? Interesting. So we could continue to talk, talk about this integrity. And I think it's a really important subject, but I think what you would, and what we were talking about earlier that made me want to put a microphone in front of us is that we were talking about the nature of technology and spirituality and how uh, we are m moving towards a way where, Silicon Valley and the technology elite class are starting to take some of these techniques. They've been doing it for a long time, but now that now what I see happening is that they're now winning um, in a sense that they that the technological class. We used to be nerds, you know, in like high school, and as we both know, like a lot of our early childhood experiences are formative for who we later turn out to be. So we have nerds who are now have power uh, and money um, and influence, and also have built these amazing things that have changed the world. Um, and now they're the. I believe most people think that the technology class is probably the one that's going to survive any further recessions. A lot of the other industries are probably going to have a lot of job loss, other things like that. So like we have this class that is now very powerful and they're starting to use these techniques for productivity and wellness and all these other things. And so they think that they're discovering something new, but this has actually happened many times previously. Like if you go back to ninth century Kashmir, India, you had kings employing yogis in order to say mantras so that they could win at battles and can uh, get more material power. So this productivity thing, because that's essentially what it is. If you really look at it, I, I want to be more productive. I want to be more effective. I'm going to use meditation to do those things is a quest for material power because whatever that effect, I mean, it obviously can be, it can be spiritual as well. And it's impossible for us to outside to tell what the individual is doing it for. What do you think? What, what is that? What did I say there that, that sparked any kind of further points of clarification, conversation, nuance, anything that you have to add to that? Yeah, it's really, really interesting points that, that resonates a lot. Um, I, 
I definitely feel like technologists, like programmers and product, all of those people will probably definitely, or it feels like will likely be some of the last folks with like jobs or whatever, if robots, you know, take over. I also feel like artists and maybe like, um, kind of like mental health professionals, healers, people like that. I, I can see it being, it's, it's hard to imagine robots getting so good that they're able to, you know, be as effective as like a very, very advanced healer or mm. therapist or someone like that. Well, and that's yeah. and, and an artist as well. Cause you actually know a fair amount of machine learning and, and other things like that. And so what is this doing? Uh, what is the machine doing for our creative will if, if machines actually build this technology, if we can program machines to create artistically, humans will always be able to give another input, correct? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, you, you can imagine a future where the AI has gotten so good that it produces art without any human intervention uh, and humans are totally not needed. I think that's far off if, if that will ever happen. Even now with these amazing generative you know, deep learning techniques for... Let's say you can train a data set on a bunch of flowers and then use a network to create whole new kinds of flowers and things out of from that set that humans haven't created. There's still plenty of artists actually doing that, like training. You still have mm. to pick the, the data set to train it on. You still have to decide as the artist which ones are interesting, which ones kind of look crappy. You can put them together in whole new ways. So, so the art almost yeah. becomes using the technology in an artful way. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's kind of the same thing. I'm reading this book right now about Leonardo da Vinci and even, even like new kinds of painting techniques, like the artist still had to decide, like da Vinci still had to decide, okay, there's these oil paints. I can layer them together. I could put 50 layers together to get the light to go through a certain way. Same with these amazing render, you know, like unreal unity, these game engines, real time rendering engines. There's still a lot like it, you know, the, the engine does all the lighting calculations, but you still have to decide what assets you want, how the light works, like how, you know, what the materials are with AI too. I think there's still going to be many, you're, you're basically just changing. You're giving the artist in some ways more control. Like mm. you can say like, Oh, you can say, I, I want like a space with a castle and a lake and the network could maybe generate a scene like that, but you're, you're still using raw materials that you're then creating more from. So art has always been a, uh, art has always been a combination of the tools and the artistic inspiration from the individual as well. You just mentioned Leonardo da Vinci, you know, that was a time of great tool growth for artists and for art artisans, artisans and other people as well. And even if you go back into the cave paintings, you know, you look at the cave paintings and they got, they've been, you know, sketching things with various tools and stuff like that. So it's like, and humanity itself neurologically, like, we created opposable thumbs so that we could manipulate the world around us. And that also co-evolved with the frontal cortex, which was involved with sort of social relationships, which is why we use our hands to talk, talk with other people. Like, so it's all related. It's all very related to our growth as individuals. So now I'm going to take the opportunity to introduce another guest who has now come onto the show, uh, Eric Fisher, uh, a previous guest a long time ago, uh, like a year ago. And has also been very influential in, in the, in the crazy wisdom podcast. So it's great to have you. Uh, what do you think about what we've been talking about? Yeah, VR is going to be great, isn't it? <laughs> as long as we only focus on the positives, everything will be fine. <laughs> what are the negatives? What are the negatives? I envision a scenario in which you're having an experience and then it's advertisement time. And now suddenly you're sitting in a very loud DJ space, you know, like a, and you got like a bottle of Absolute right in front of you and a bunch of breasts in your face. And you could have this too if you go buy this. And then so you're back to like... 
whatever game you're playing. And you've done a lot of designing digital spaces. Is there a way we can design a digital space that still fits the fundamental necessity of capitalism to make money or consumerism to make money that also does not do what you just described? I feel like uh, technology is one of those super objective things that can really be anything. It really can be anything and it is everything and everything and anything. And um, it all comes down to who is designing and why. Can we control those? Mm. Probably not. What do you think? I mean, we, we definitely can control them. The question is like, at the individual level, the question is, can we, and even should we create some kind of structure that, let's say, limits a designer from creating a, a game with a bunch of ads in it, if that's what they want to do. And and then it's the same with like, it's the same with drugs, for example. Should we make all drugs illegal or should we let the individual choose to take a drug that will send them to a certain place or play a game that has ads with a bunch of absolute bottles and breasts in them or play, even without ads, play a game that has a lot of violence and shooting that can influence them. So I think that's like a, a question even beyond technology and just about society well, and control as a whole. It also is the definition of technology is the meditation practice of technology because you're using your neurons to then focus on your breath over and over. That's the concentration technique, not exactly meditation, but there are techniques that we use and that we've been using for a long time that would be considered technology. Do you guys consider? Is that technology? I, I would say it's technology. So mm -hmm. I got this great definition of what is material, what is spiritual. Spiritual is the thing that's always watching. So, so if you can, if you can observe it, it's not spiritual, it's material. And so I can observe myself observing my breath. So that therefore becomes into this material realm, hmm. but there's always something back there that's observing that, right? What is that? <laughs> no, that sounds like the awareness, but, uh, but what I is awareness? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. It's this life, light, life force of unity. That's all for some reason. Um, it feels good to actually believe in something because I've been a hyper skeptical objective uh, discern, discerner, uh, mentality for a long time. And I'm not even sure now why I even thought it was a better decision back then to not believe in anything. Cause what's fun about that life? There's nothing. Fun. What do you believe in now? Well, there's something, there, there's something <laughs> happening. Like there's, right a, now, yeah. there's an order from the chaos. Naturally, there's something that is seeking unions in general. I mean, we live in a very disparate world, so there's like union seeking everywhere. But even in general, let's say we had a harmonious life, like the life force continues and wants that. So you, what, I, what I hear you talking about is essentially we have this force of entropy, which destroys everything. And that's the, that's, you know, once the big bang happened, everything's entropy from there. Or maybe once, once the universe expands to its limit and then starts collapsing on itself, then it's entropy. And then you have negative ent ent entropy, this life force that you're talking about, which is the creative aspect of life, which is some people say would like a mistake or something like that, but obviously not because we're here. There are other examples of intelligent life that have nervous systems in the ocean that don't have a spine. So octopi were developed both and our most common ancestor is a slug. And both of us came up with nervous, highly developed nervous systems and eyes. Mm -hmm. So there are multiple two, at least two examples of life organizing itself towards some form of intelligence. So we have this negative ent entropy thing. What is that? Like, what is technology's role in that? Either of you guys can feel that one. Yeah. I look at technology as like external to the body. I don't know if that's correct, incorrect. I don't even know if the word correct exists in general, but um, you know, the, the body 
uh, like all bodies, has adapted to the environment in various ways over the millennia or whatever. And uh, at some point, for humans in particular, we like stopped evolving our bodies and then we just started manipulating the environment. And part of the evolution of the body, it seems, is like getting the brain to like serve the heart and mm. to like become more conscious and more sensitive and more like flowing with which, life. Which up until now has not been a goal of modern technology culture, basically. The goal of modern technology culture, as I, for most of the people involved in it, seems to be the evolution of the IQ and the evolution of the intelligence, brain-based intelligence and totally. stuff like that. Yeah. But now what we were talking about earlier, which, which you might've missed, which was that Silicon Valley technologists are now uh, coming to the point where they don't find as much meaning from that IQ. And so they're now turning to these other things as well, but also turning to this quest for power essentially, which is like using technology for, for material gain and stuff like that. Well, it's an interesting thing. It's like um, there was a time when the majority of people like in the world were under like tyrannical rulership all over the place, wherever they were. And then, you know, other people probably were fine, but those mm. were not referenced in history as much, see? So there's been this desire to, like, break free of the chains of, like, monarchy and blood-related and say, like, well, maybe there was something else happening. And so you have these, like, early scientists observing and discovering, like, hey, actually, like, the Earth is round. Actually, we're not the center of the universe. Like, there's a sun and stuff like that sometimes killed because it goes against the rulership, right? So it seems like the original seeking of technology and truth through science is um, uh, aimed at freedom and, like, objective reality that's not oppressive. And then it, like, worked so well that it was co-opted by the, the, the new monarchs, which are just, say, you know, the capitalists and the business people who are making things. And now all science and all technology is serving like these business goals rather than just like, you know, freeing humans from all the terrible things that are still going on. Interesting. Can, and, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but can you be a capitalist? Can you use the tools of technology? I don't want to say for good, cause that's a loaded thing, but can you use the technology for freedom of others? Can you use what, what we're talking about? Can you be in it, but not of it? Can you, what do you guys think? Well, Eric, let's start with you. I think so. Yeah, it's not necessarily the default. Like, there's definitely powerful forces of the structure we're in and capitalism and all of those things, which, again, aren't necessarily good or bad on their own. But, it. I mean, if you look at the history of, like, a lot of nerds or, you know, programmers or technologists or whatever that ended up creating something that a lot of people wanted, it naturally turns into a business and mm. the company IPOs and then you have shareholders and you have to, you know, you want to keep growing just because of the system we're in. Every quarter you need to make more money or your stock goes down and then people freak out. So I think they're, they're definitely probably like a, a broad range of people. There's people that are just out there to make money and they don't necessarily care about the technology as much or and they're just going for a big business. I think there's plenty of people that start off just they're into the, the tech and they're hacking away or whatever. Mm. And then turns out it's like a valuable thing. And, and that think, gets co-opted just naturally, not even if they want it or not. And then there's people that are like very anti-business at all and try to keep it open source all the time. And But then, of course, businesses, like even if you release something for free and you're not trying to make a business out of it, they're like, you know, for example, you know, Linux or whatever, that's still used by cap like big businesses to make billions of dollars building on top of, you know, free software. So very interesting. Yeah. 
Well, we built on top of the free software of the trees and the ocean for a long time and made a lot of money, so what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, oh, interesting. interesting. All right, yeah. so the ocean is our original open source. Well, nature itself is open, open source. <laughs> sure, that's what nature is. <laughs> oh, I get it, that leaf. Oh, it's open source. It's a resource. I get it. All right. All right. For my use. For my use. Well, I can have all of this whole forest. Who's going to stop me? <laughs> but that's the human, that's the human, like, almost as if we're... Uh, designed with that in mind. But is it, though? Because my feeling is it's only some humans, and those are the ones that killed the others. Because <laughs> oh, there are plenty of people but then that who makes have us, lived... But, that, but, then, but that makes us, by default, those the, the, the descendants of the ones who, who poten- killed the other. Potentially, or at least living in the, in the culture of, of those. Well, but no, because if, if, the, if, the, if they survived... With their genes, they passed on the genes the one of the of the killer ones of the ones sure, who yeah. killed all those. No, there's yeah. still many of those people around, and then there's other people who are still born and are not like that, but mm. happen to be born into the society that that made. Remember, there was a time when you could go into the world and there were no borders and boundaries, mm-hmm. and that time has only been over like for the past hundred years. Eighteen, yeah, eighteen hundred, late eighteen hundreds, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's why you start having these big world wars and stuff, because it's like, well, there's nowhere else to go. Now we have to deal with it. And but that goes back to your unity thing, because essentially I see globalization as a move towards unity, in a sense, because as you just said, well, it was a move towards unity in some senses, a global trade and everything like that, but then also a move towards uh, closing off and borders, which hadn't existed before. Yeah. And this is so interesting to get into the show a lot of globalization, because a lot of people think globalization bad. It's not, you know, it's not necessarily always bad. There are some really Present great times. things about, about yeah. globalization. Um, and it's all leading somewhere. And it seems like it's leading somewhere that is not, that we have, we as human beings have not gone before, which is, you know, like, we, and we take a lot of inspiration from ancient traditions of, of meditation and, and other things, which may not be applicable to the age of acceleration that we are about to enter. What do you guys think? Do you think we are en- entering an age of acceleration? Are we already in the age of acceleration? Sure seems that way. <laughs> <laughs> Things are accelerating. Well, one thing I find uh, most fascinating that I don't think people really understand when they get stuck in the outrage cycle of what's going on. It's no sense to get outraged. This is beyond it now. We have to take a, a perspective that's more objective. But as it turns out, even though there are humans all over the world that have been living and growing for a long time, and even though they all speak languages and stuff, there really is like... It's all contextual. Like words don't mean the same in different parts of different places, even though it may look the same on paper. And even if you do speak the la- same language, you're still speaking a different language. Because I'm speaking Stuart's language uh, based on my experiences. You're yeah. speaking Eric's language. Yeah, yeah and, and um, I'm I'm marveling at how like saying one thing can you can be like, oh, of course, it totally means this thing, but truly it doesn't because you can see it means a whole other thing as well to other people, and. That's interesting. So mm-hmm. I, there's a bit of a crisis here, which is that the technology of language um, that we've been using in like little pockets all over the world for a long time uh, is failing when brought out of context. Mm. And this is the problem with the <laughs> internet, with the literary sense of the internet. The internet up till now has been only textually based, linguistically based, which is a huge problem for outrage. But now it's starting to move into something that Eric Levin here is, is working on in VR, where we are now entering a state where the internet will be highly contextual would you agree and highly well highly visual and auditory at least yeah i i I definitely think that's a potentially positive evolution (laughs) like if you can see people's reactions and expressions and not just like see their tweet or whatever and misinterpret it on the other hand 
with, you know, getting back to the AI stuff, you're going to be able to fake all of that stuff too, like reactions and expressions and this and that. So I think like any power, like any advance in technology or anything, there's going to be good to it and like some serious shadow stuff. Going that, 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 okay. Well, the, the shadow, that's a good time to bring in the shadow <laughs> adversarial. I just imagined, I uh, imagined a world where I put on my VR goggles and there are nefarious uh, AI uh, viruses that have been programmed by people to totally fuck with my perception, which is really scary. And we were talking earlier on a conversation, which you might be interested in, Eric, is about how a lot of people are starting to turn to these plant medicines like ayahuasca, cannabis, um, even grain. Uh, and we, a lot of people kind of ultimately just kind of by default think ayahuasca good. Ayahuasca leads me to this place of better understanding is a divine force. Uh, but as somebody once pointed it out to me, have we really looked if this plant is conscious and, and is bringing its consciousness into our system? Is that, is it doing it for its own purposes? Um, does it have its own purposes? Does ayahuasca have agency? Uh, <laughs> does cannabis have agency? Does coffee have agency? Uh, uh, and, and then that gets into, okay, we're actually going to create artificial intelligences that also might not be have agency in the same way that humans have agency but have a sense of agency in their ability to make decisions. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's definitely, it's a tricky one. It, we, we were also talking about like the astral realm too, and, you know, traveling through that and you meet potentially, you know, depending on your worldview um, in the astral realm, you can potentially meet entities that are bad pretending to be good. Like they pretend like they care about you, but really they just want something from you. Same with, plant medicines or AI or company or, or anything, humans, you know? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it, it's, it's that balance of like, you, you don't, it's good to be skeptical up to a point and just not assume that the thing you're seeing in VR is like this real person that's telling you that it's in your best interest to go buy X or do this. It could just be kind of a malevolently programmed AI or have evolved from maybe good AI well. or whatever, <laughs> who knows. But, but also like, man yeah skepticism is going to become more and more important like you already see it with like there's this hall of mirrors going on everywhere with like what well, it's real what's the lie like but also if you're skeptical if you're too skeptical then it's yeah. like at at, and at some point is there some basic goodness in the universe to trust in or a, like a, a basic benevolent god or basic benevolent force or whatever it is or is it all just a bunch of like prismatic Hall of Mirror, like hologram, hologram crazy yeah, stuff where yeah. you can't believe anything. I, I like to believe there's something just because it's really scary otherwise, but I don't know. Yeah. I want to hear, hear Eric Fisher's on this. Having it be scary isn't a good reason necessarily just to believe something, but yeah. Okay, one thing that's, this is very interesting because obviously I come from the tech world as well, uh, building social tools and then realizing that like people really don't know how to socialize like properly, <laughs> constructively. And so now I'm teaching improv, which teaches the expressions and like reading uh, body language and listening and that kind of stuff, which are good tools for discernment um, mm. when it comes to interactions in terms of what's real, but also requiring you to be uh, emotionally tapped in as well, because the emotional tapped in nature that you have will be reflected or not. And you can tell. Like uh, an expanded human will always see a less expanded human, but not the other way around. Never. Which is interesting because I used to, I, I noticed this within myself when I would be around people who would challenge me just by being around them. I would often create a story in my head about how they're off or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and it's really interesting because that's, 
that my experience fits with what you just said, essentially, of, of keep on going, continue going. Oh. <laughs> um, yes, uh, there's there's consciousness and then there's attention. Mm. Attention is like the flashlight in the in the space of consciousness. And it seems like uh, consciousness goes where attention goes and attention is is not going everywhere it could go. There's like a whole 360 sphere of attention that can go. And most people are not giving all 360 because they're busy. You see, they have things to do. So they're and constantly... They have, and they have trauma and they have things that they've hidden off from themselves that they oh, don't yeah. want to put their attention on. Totally. And if they if they were to put attention, it would require a lot of time and space that they simply don't have. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was going to see a, a therapist once a week when I was working in tech and like one time I would have like a really massive like, oh my God, I just realized that, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then the next day I'd go into work and people are just at their computer and I'm like... <laughs> and there's no space in that environment for you to be in that environment and then also have that realization afterwards, essentially. Sure. Well, you know, they want the working world wants people to be zeros or ones, but they're not. They're like everywhere in between at different times, depending. Well, I would, I would push back on that because I would say most of the world work, work, working world wants that. But there are some organizations that will, that are starting to maybe already have offer these services and offer these environments for their employees and stuff like that. This gets into something really interesting that one of my previous guests talks about, Jason Ebenish. He says that the place of employment is not the place of therapy. So the it is a place of coaching, but is not a place of therapy. And that every manager should be re- responsible for only offering that coaching. And as soon as it goes into ter- therapy, uh, outsour- or source them to another person who can take care of their emotional needs. But is the workplace also, can it be a place of therapy? And is that crossing a boundary? It's probably depends. Uh, My mom runs a company. It's only 17 people, but everybody uh, works well together, is treated well, has the ability to take time and space as needed. And it's pretty health, healthily run. Mm. Granted, it's a small company. I feel like the larger the company, the more anonymous the people get. And it's sort of more dependent on whatever system is in place, like a system. And a system is not a human thing. So where's the you know, human to human relation that is necessary. So we've only got like 10 minutes left and we're talking about how narratives define the goal. Is that true? I think narratives are important. Uh, even in an interview, for example, just mm. what are we, what are we trying to say? What is the ultimate point to be made? If the point can be made and people can, can get it and be like, cool, I get that. Then they can move on. Otherwise they can dive in and be like, well, I don't quite get that. Let me see how you arrived at that at that point and then that's the story in there and then uh, you can move on so so there's i want to uh, there's two imaginary listeners i have in my head one who's been listening to this conversation for the whole time and he's like i get it i get the whole thing i guess where you guys are pointing to that helped me get closer to that thing and then there's another one who's like he stopped listening after five minutes and like you guys don't know what you're talking about you guys are all assholes like what do you say to that person about narrative i say okay whatever yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are many people to listen to. Um, but to uh, to jump off your point that you had just made before about um, participating versus like getting more information about like meditating. You know, we talk a lot about community as part of the meditation and spiritual worlds. And that, that word comes up a lot. It comes up with the Internet and uh, social mm-hmm. products in general. And community is one of those weird terms that doesn't exist unless you show up to participate. In other words, you can't just show up and get community. You have to be one of the people that is contributing and participating in order for community to arise. And because of the consumerist 
nature of our lifestyles now where we just consume everything not just food but like people's thoughts oh read this book go to this movie go like learn this way use this app it's all just giving it to you and where's the call for just the individual to say hey i don't need any of this i need nothing mm -hmm. i can just sit under a tree with compassionate self-inquiry which you can be trained in and i can figure it out myself <laughs> well and then and then once you get to that place then you just give as a matter of then like, you just give yeah then there's just like then the act of giving becomes so joyous that it's just like there's no other option you don't you don't see another thing like why would i not give everything i have because i have this deep wellspring of just like life is abundant like and even in scarce situations life is abundant if we have this connection to source or connection to Right. Awareness, consciousness, and community. That's, yeah. And that's why the meditation is one of the ways to get there, because we're living in a time where the the assumption is that everybody is a separate, you know, lonely individual mm -hmm. and that we need to we need to fit in, but we also gotta we also have to stand out. So you gotta be really good at something, you gotta be specialized, but you also gotta fit in and play by the rules, which is sort of a conundrum. And the whole time it's like you're alone and you're just trying to make it on your own and be financially independent or something and uh, it doesn't talk about the connected nature that is the real deal. So something like ayahuasca or plant medicine, which is all about connectedness and flow. You take it, you get flow in your body. You're like, oh, I see. So I was never separate. I'm just like always in the flow like everything else. A lot easier to take that perspective of abundance. So that's a really good point. But I, you said something that I had never heard before that ayahuasca promotes flow. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. That ayahuasca, the the experience you have after taking is it a, during ayahuasca or after ayahuasca that you experience flow? Both, yeah, both. Yeah, I've had many many ceremonies where during and then like for hours the whole night after I've been out, you know, doing martial arts, but things I never learned from a teacher, just like listening and tuning into my body and you know, hours and hours where I'm like discovering new ways of moving my body and my mind and just mm. flowing between meditation and movement. And it's up. I, I definitely deeply believe it's a flow inducer and cannabis as well. Any plant likely since plants are all in the flow. So this is make, uh, this is drawing an analogy to something I've been reading in tantric philosophy from ninth century, where they talk about the two aspects of reality. Ultimately reality is all one and there's no aspects of it, but there are two aspects of it. There are the transcendent, the one that the Buddhists would get to the one that, that you would transcend all of reality and kind of go in a cave and, and sit out there. That's what they would call Shiva. And then there's Shakti. Shakti is the life energy, the life force, the, the, uh, um, Often people gen put genders on these, but that's only because H Hindi is a gen gendered language in the same way Spanish and other things are. So that's not sh so traditionally Shakti is feminine, uh, Shiva is, is masculine. That's not gendered. It's not about gender basically. But plants. From this conversation, I'm getting to the point that uh, cannabis, ca co coffee, uh, all these other things are these energetic in the same way that there can be energetic practices of, of meditation as well like yoga moving dance all these things these are flow states but then there's also the shiva this transcendent awareness where you're just watching and everything like that and any the most effective practice is a combination of both basically moving between the two that's mindful improv interesting <laughs> comes back around because it's you've got you you've you've got to go inside first and then relate sure but you're 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 in the flow of a relation uh, conversation dynamic with another character and you're also watching it at the same time mm. uh, in, you have to do both so you have to know exactly all the things you're saying how you're communicating you also have to know how to read what they're doing and consider the possibilities and discern 
what is happening, and then keep your eye on the story arc of where you're trying to go. It's very hard given the fast-paced busyness of life, but like we tend to go to movement-based things or like yoga or whatever to get into the flow because it's so not in the flow. When we talk to other people, everybody's like, I got to get out of my head. I got to go far away from people. I don't know. I just got to clear myself. What if it was in the flow all the time dealing with people? What would that be like? What if you were excited to just like go to people or be with people? I imagine that's how old tribes used to be. It's not how people are now. It sucks. It sucks to talk to people. Uh, they, we, we, but we could, you know, bring the flow with us and be like, tell me about you. How are you feeling? And what is your experience of life right now? And how is this for you? Rather than like, oh, did you see so-and-so's book? And what is your job about? And what do you think of global warming? And, you know. This is what I've gotten from the podcast. This, I, I have been introverted for the last few years and I was... I dread conversations, social situations. Uh, but then this podcast has opened that up to me again and finding flow. Every single podcast I've ever done has been in a state of flow. Like it's, 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 it always, it always finds that, um, which is beautiful because I thought that I had to go off into the cave and, and do the thing for the 20 years and 30 years. And that was the only way. And we were talking about this earlier. I want to hear, I want to hear Eric Levin's uh, thoughts on this. Yeah. I definitely still have that thought process come up a lot, especially when I'm like stressed or depressed or whatever. And feeling like the only way to like to reset or to be happy is to go into the cave or the monastery or whatever it is. Mm. And and when I'm feeling good and enjoying life, I love to talk with people and explore conversation and dance and this and that. But yeah, there's definitely a part of me like the maybe the I I don't necessarily know if I want to call it the grumpy old man. That's part of it. Maybe just like, oh, fuck all of this bullshit. I just want to get away and just like meditate. So, yeah. Yeah. Get off my lawn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like this. But I'm, I'm glad what you brought up, Eric, because I do think there, there's more for me to learn about flowing in conversation and being comfortable and and not mm-hmm. not letting those parts like get stuck in conversation mm-hmm. than needing to go recharge on my own. So, which yeah. which is something that you introduced me to ecstatic dance allowed me to do that in a nonverbal way. It was actually still still very very far away. I can't go into ecstatic dance and relate to other people while dancing. That's still like super edgy for me. Um, uh, I can do it easier in improv because improv, the, the, I have, it's the goal oriented. It's something I'm, I find myself being very goal oriented. And so like every, it, like if I'm stuck, it, like contact improv is this new thing that people are doing and not new thing. It's a, it's a new body movement where there's no rules at all, except don't hurt someone. Uh, and it's contact to contact. So you're actually touching another human being and you're just flowing um, and I do a lot of partner dance, but there's structure there. So I, I find it very comfortable in this. I, I'm, it's, it's difficult for me to do something like I need a podcast in order to, to, you know, it's got to have that structure and I feel uncomfortable in one-on-one conversations where there is no goal. There is just being becoming, there is just being, what do you guys think about this? I guess it goes back to what we were just talking about. Shiva and Shakti about being and becoming and, in our society, becoming is the thing you, mm. you are constantly becoming, mm. but then what you're talking about is also that being, and I, th- I haven't gotten there yet, but I would love to be comfortable just mm. being with somebody. Cause that, then you can go anywhere in the world and you can go hang out in Thailand and you can go hang out with people and just be with them. No necessary communication or anything like that. You're just being and have it be fulfilling. Like that seems pretty cool. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. If you can drop into that level. 
Sometimes it's hard, you know, some people are in different energy states. They're like a little bit more uptight or neurotic or anxious. I know because I used to, used to be and I can tell there's an absolute difference in like my energy. And it's hard to be with that. Everything's got to be, something's happening. We need to do things. What's going on? You're like, okay, relax. Then you come down here, you're like, yo, what's up, man? <laughs> yo, you ever considered that like the stars are like just like up there? <laughs> You're like, okay, it's a little easier to be with you, but I'd still rather... I want, like, a happy medium of people who can just be, but become conversationally. Because it's, it's happening in, all, in, in every moment as well. There's, that, there's that, that... At certain times, I've become quiet, and I'm just being with you guys, and you're... But I'm in the head, I'm also becoming and, and reacting to, to what you're saying as well, so... Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the narrative-based communication is sort of a way of becoming without, without not being. You can, be, you can just be together and then as soon as you open your mouth you are becoming together you are turning together that's what conversation means so you can wait is that actually what the linguistic Mm -hmm. of conversation is can you describe to to turn together interesting to converse Uh, to turn to change to move together so what's really cool is that you can just sit and you can just be and you can be meditating and you can be really calm and you can be tuned in and you can be heightened awareness and then together through conversation depending on how you do it you can change together so interesting because i used to go into uh, when i would meditate i would go into a 30 minute meditation and then there would be social situations afterwards and i would hate those social situations because it would become like i would just go really deep and then like there was a huge gap between going really deep and then socializing because you have to do that becoming thing yeah but that's why the improv stuff is cool because yeah. you're you're doing it in there. you're setting a, a default agreement by in in the conversation like hey we're showing up here to this conversation and we're trying to get from A to some other point. So work with me here and then we'll try to do that. And then from taking that perspective, treating every conversation as sacred, I have chosen to show up to this conversation. I don't need to have this conversation. This isn't necessary, but I'm choosing to show up to this conversation because I'd like to move the needle with you. Will you go on this journey with me? Mm. And then, uh, you know, then you both honor it. You create a little culture of, right there about oh, that. And then you can see if people are respecting that culture in the way that they communicate. Hey, your emotions are getting real serious here. I thought we agreed. Or, hey, you're going on a tangent. That's not helpful. We're trying to get to point B. So culture, I've never heard of that before. Culture as being created in every single interaction between two humans. Well, the root word of culture is cultus, which I believe means worship, which also means honor. So if you're creating a culture, what are you honoring? That is the collective thing. It used to be we honor death, and then you really appreciate life because you're like aware all the time. Now I don't know what we honor. We honor like consumerist stuff. But yes, you can decide um, when you start a conversation, what is it that we both are honoring? That's a great way to sort of get on the page a little bit. And then from there, you can try to bridge the gap as necessary. So we've got a couple minutes left and we'll end. I, I would love it if you could give our listeners a little bit more insight into what improv is. Well, I've already been talking about it, but how do you work with it? How do you use it? What do you do with it? Um, improv. Well, improv is uh, just about going with the flow. The idea is that your being and the way that you show up and express and communicate should appear to be spontaneous and in the flow. However, for me, it is like highly constructed underneath because I don't understand how people relate to each other. <laughs> it's, I've, it's always been perplexing since I was a kid. Characters and relationship dynamics form the nature of reality, and it's all just like a drama play that people are stuck in for whatever reason. So you want to be able to show up and participate as though like, you're able to play that game, but like, keep uh, your awareness about what's actually going on. 
And that way, like in case anything like happens or there's something to discern, you're not actually lost in the conversation. You're a step back as well. So it's about building and strengthening like the bridge between you and like your mindful self so that you can walk into every situation with the two of you. And that's different from traditional comedy improv or drop-in improv classes. I mean, yeah, most improv classes will teach you how to be a, how to be an actor, which is fine. But like, we're all actors in life. And like, you know, my impression of Stuart is not mm. what your impression of yourself is. Yeah. And like, to me, you're a character. If I can do an impression of somebody, they're a character. Nobody should be able to do an impression of me. Because if you try, you're actually doing different voices from different people. And what is that? There is no way. But uh, the way that people show up and the way that they express and how they um, communicate is their character. character. It indicates all that is, that is flowing through them as well as all that is blocked. Mm. And then when uh, coupled with another character, it can like exponentially create even more stuff. It's like distorted mirrors in a fun house. It just keeps distorting forever. So the best thing you could do is like straighten your mirror, but you can like jump into character at at will as the situation calls for it. And then come back. And so how can people find out more about the improv that you do or that you offer? I mean, I'm here in Boulder, and also we lead uh, psychedelic retreats through highexistence.com, but uh, mindfulimprov.com. Yeah, cool. And then Eric, I'd love to, under- I'd love my listeners to understand a little bit more about the art. I know you're not doing it commercially right now, but like, what are you doing? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I think um, VR, AR pre- presents like a whole new realm to explore artistic expression, linking, you know, how you move your body to to really anything. You can have anti-gravity paint in 3D space. You can send wind across the universe and have it ripple through multi-dimensions and interact in all kinds of ways. So basically I'm just exploring and exploring lots of different techniques and ways of putting things together, different programs and how they can interact. Um, It's a really exciting time to be making art in VR. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of huge potential ahead. Interesting. Are you posting your stuff on Twitter at all? Um, I will be. Okay. Yeah. How can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm a Rickrius one, E-R-I-C-R-I-U-S one. Cool. Yeah. Well, this has been an enlightening conversation for me and I'm looking forward to many, many more conversations, both recorded and non recorded. Uh, uh, cause it's so funny cause we were, we've just been like talking, shooting the shit for the last 24 hours and I don't feel that much difference between the recorded one. And I don't know. What do you guys think? This is how we talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Eric Levin and Eric Fisher. Uh, if you did, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. I've been doing this now for about two years and anything you can do to help uh, would be a huge, huge honor and help. I, I haven't put ads on this podcast. I've wanted to make it ad free until I really kind of nail down what I'm doing for people. And I feel like I've done that. And actually, I just came to the conclusion today that that it's about courage. So I've experienced a lot of fear in my life. Um, and I have learned how to be courageous and face that fear and I, I feel like that's the most important thing we can do as human beings is is face our fears because fear is where is where the it's the mind killer it's where it's where uh all we make all these horrible decisions when we start acting from a place of fear and i think i've found that and i think that's what i offer here in this show is basically how to empower people to to really look at fear with a clear gaze and not look away from it and really not shy away from it. So 
if you've been empowered for, by the by the by the stuff I've been putting out there, I'd I'd love it if you could help either spread this or uh, leave a review. Anything you can do to to kind of get it out there because I'm not doing this for money. I've been doing it for two years now. Uh, I've not made a single dime on it. I've put a lot of money into it, and my goal, my number one goal, is is to empower people. So uh, anything you can do to help that would be a huge help.